Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. I'll speak with Ken Fang of Awful Announcing as we go through the sports media landscape during this coronavirus pandemic. And I'll speak with Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports and formerly of News Channel 13. He's working on a project during the pandemic. My first guest is someone who I saw begin his stellar career back in uh, 1984 at the York Daily Record when I was a part-timer while attending York College of Pennsylvania. Uh, he later covered the Baltimore Orioles for the Baltimore Sun and now is covering Major League Baseball for Fox Sports, MLB Network, and The Athletic, and he helped expose the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Please welcome Ken Rosenthal. Ken, my friend, how are you? Ken, good to be with you, man. How are you? I'm well, sir. I'm well. Great to be talking to you. And I uh, know, uh, as I said, I mean, I, you and uh, John Delapinas, when you, know, you guys were at the York Daily Record, I was just in awe of you, just watching you guys and how you did your stories, and I, I tried to emulate you guys. I mean, just it was gr- great to be part of that and, and to see your career to where it's at right now. I'm, I'm very uh, proud of you and what you've done. Well, I appreciate that, Ken, but when you talk about being in awe of us then, all I remember is being completely clueless. <laughs> and I remember John and I would come into the paper at 1 o'clock if we were laying out the paper that night, if we were in charge of it. And we'd get there three hours before we even had to be there, and we'd still be late. <laughs> I mean, this paper would still be late. The yeah. deadline would be, say, at midnight, and we'd be trying to get it out by 1 a.m. We were kind of a mess, but we had a lot of fun. Yeah, back in the composing room, I know everything is just kind of nuts. So toward the end, there's just, uh, just uh, great times and great memories. And uh, and like I said, you going on the, the great things right here. Uh, before we get into talking about uh, the Major League Baseball situation, uh, as we tape this uh, portion of our tele- of our podcast on Tuesday, uh, we just got word that uh, um, Hank Steinbrenner, uh, co-owner of the Yankees, passed away at the age of 63 after a long illness. Uh, your thoughts about uh, Hank Steinbrenner? Well, I didn't know him very well, Ken, but he was the guy initially, after George kind of yielded power, who was the out-front person, the outspoken one, and he said a lot of things, (laughs) many of them quite controversial, and in time, they turned it over instead to Hal Steinbrenner, his brother, who is the more reserved, calculating is not the right word, but he's more of a business-like type owner. Mm -hmm. And Hank, in recent years, had really faded from view, and obviously he had been sick, that's part of it, but... He had lost kind of that power that he had with the Yankees for a time there. Yeah, I mean, you, you just look at me. He definitely looked like this father, his father. And as you said, some of the things he said were controversial, just like his father would. But obviously, in this day and age, it's it's not as easy to get away with some of the stuff, uh, uh, saying some controversial stuff like maybe George got away with in the past. Well, and he wasn't as accomplished as George. Yeah. George, we're all... All the criticism he eventually took and took throughout his career, did some things. Won World Series and signed players and was kind of a maverick in his own way. So that was the difference, too. And 
I don't remember some of the specifics with Hank, but I know he said a lot of dumb stuff. <laughs> so, uh, rest in peace to uh, Hank Steinbrenner. Now, let's talk about this proposal that's coming out that Major League Baseball is pondering. Starting the seasons in the regular season in Florida and Arizona, uh, spring training ballparks could be used, and possibly the dome stadiums in Miami, Tampa Bay, and Phoenix. And obviously, the structure of the standings would change. There's not going to be an American League or National League, but rather grapefruit and cactus leagues. Can this be done while protecting the health of the, of the teams during this uh, pandemic we're having? Well, a couple things can. First of all, there is no real plan yet, and the most viable idea seems to be Arizona. I don't know that you can play in Florida and Arizona. I don't think it's actually viable at all, uh, at least to start. Now, if you put all the teams in Arizona and you can ensure their safety and the climate of that particular state, and really the country is to the point where there's enough testing available that you're not taking from people who actually might need it even more. And you're able to quarantine the players initially and everyone around them, all the hotel workers, the food service workers, the television people, name it, transportation, security. If you can ensure or feel reasonably confident ensuring the safety of that group in that biosphere, if you want to call it that, then yes, you can entertain that idea in empty parks, in spring training parks, and also Chase Field, which is the Diamondback Stadium. Many problems with this, one being it's really hot in Arizona in <laughs> June and July in particular, also August. Also, there is a possibility players would need to be separated from their families, and some might not want to do that. And you also have the fact that Phoenix is out west, and for television purposes, a night game would start too late in the east. And there are all these different qualms with it. And you'd have to put this thing together in advance when, as we wrote today in The Athletic, baseball is not yet ready to do that, thinking that, who knows, in 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, the entire landscape might be different. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. We don't know. So they're a little hesitant at this point to commit to any one plan, at least from what we've been told. And then... Ultimately, day by day, we'll see how this progresses. The one thing with the, the Florida-Arizona plan, which I, I don't know if it's really been brought up, but each you know, there's 15 teams that you know, train in Florida, 15 teams train in Arizona. Somebody's, if they have this proposal, somebody's going to have to be off uh, for a game for a day or two. I mean, how, how can Major League Baseball resolve that if, if they go to this Florida, if they're even considering this Florida-Arizona plan? I'm not sure, and you could figure it out, get each team a day off a week or something like that. That's kind of how baseball works now. But the problem with playing in Florida is the camps are much more spread out than in Arizona. In Arizona, I believe the most distant camps are less than one hour apart. It's about 55 minutes. Florida is not like that at all. And some of the Florida camps are kind of remote places without hotels, big hotels nearby. So... I just don't know if the Florida thing is viable at all. And even if you have all 30 teams out there in Arizona, there are a ton of questions. And that's why there are some people who say it's going to be really difficult to pull this plan off. Agreed. But there are people in the government who believe it can work from a medical perspective, a safety perspective. 
So that is encouraging to some degree. And I get responses to these articles that we write about all these potential ideas. And people say, I oh, just give up. It's not worth it. Don't plan 2020. Now, Ken, I know you probably have this situation too where you refrain from responding to people <laughs> because they say things that are silly, but give up. That's ridiculous. You have to look at every contingency. And if it doesn't work and you can't play, you can't play. But for the sports simply to say, you know what? That's it. We're mailing in the season. When it's April 14th, yeah. that's going to be irresponsible. Yeah, baseball, I mean, does have some time, unlike the NHL and NBA. Maybe the NBA has a little more time because they can, you know, play in the summer. But yeah, a league like the NHL, I mean, they're probably running out of time at this point. So, I mean, if Major League Baseball does decide to play, how many games can they play to really have a credible season? And what would the postseason look like? Well, there's no way to know right now. And it all depends on when they get started. And it depends how they want to do it. Now, one thing we know, the agreement that the players and owners reached recently about how the disrupted or canceled season would progress accounts for the regular season possibly going through October 31st. They agree that that, if necessary, will happen. Therefore, you can play the postseason in November. You can play an expanded postseason. You can do a lot of different things. I guess the real question, Ken, is what is the minimum number of games you can play and call it a real season? My answer to that is 162. Anything else is going to carry an asterisk to some degree. But at the same time, this will not be a normal season. We know that now. And ideally, you just want the entertainment. And you're not going to have a perfectly balanced schedule that's fair. You're not going to have all that these things we argue about all the time. It's just going to be baseball and Whatever inequities result, you're just going to have to deal with as a fan or a team or whatever. I mean, what rule changes could you see if they do play? I mean, there's mention about maybe seven inning doubleheaders. Uh, you know, do, do you think about limited extra innings? It looks like the DH will be used a lot uh, if, if you know this goes through. So, I mean, what what can we see? I definitely see all of that taking place. You're going to need to play doubleheaders to get more games in. That would be the idea. So, yes, I can see seven-inning doubleheaders. I can see the extra-inning rule where at the 11th inning or 12th inning, you put a runner on second base to start the inning and see where it goes to hopefully end the games quicker. There are all kinds of things they can try. Universal DH is something that might make sense in this kind of situation, too. Have pitchers avoid injury. Not that many of them get hurt, but some of them do. Kidding. There are a lot of things. And the good thing is... If there is any good thing here, we've talked a lot, baseball has talked a lot about different innovations it might try. Well, this would give you an opportunity in a season with an asterisk to do some different things and take a shot and see what it looks like. And I expect that's what they'll do. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the asterisk cheating scandal. Just an amazing story that you and uh, Evan Drellich uh, produced. As you were conducting interviews during this process, Ken, uh, when did it dawn on you that this was going to be bigger than you thought? This is a funny story, Ken. So, I'm 57 now. Evan Drellick is 32. Much younger than me. And the morning the story broke, we were at the GM meetings in Scottsdale. We had been working on it, and that was the day we finally were able to talk enough to go. Everything was buttoned up. And Evan looked at me and said, this is going to be the biggest story of my career. 
And I looked at him and said, what are you talking about? You're a young guy. You've got all these stories ahead of you. This is just going to be one. And the reason I said that is because I didn't understand or anticipate the full impact of this. Certainly didn't expect it would lead to the firings of three managers and a general manager. I didn't expect just the reaction that it generated. Now, I guess you can ask, well, why not? You didn't know this was a big story, you dum-dum? <laughs> I did know it was significant, but there had been other allegations of the Astros cheating, other stories. In my view, this was a better version of that. We had people on the record, we had actual details and real meat to it. But I didn't necessarily see it as anything more than a better version of what had come before. And I did not realize the impact it would have. Perhaps, Ken, I think you know this from working on things. There are times you just have your head down, you're trying to get something done, and you're not really envisioning the future. And I think that is a little bit what happened to me there. Well, when they make the movie, when they make the movie, all the uh, President's Men Part Two here, you can decide you know, who's going to play you and who's going to play Evan. It's almost like a Woodward and Bernstein moment. It seems like. Well, it was a big deal. There's no doubt about it. And I will say this too: that it was difficult for me, kind of emotionally, I would say, because I'm pretty close with AJ Hinch. I was pretty close with Alex Cora. Guys, I had a lot of admiration for, a lot of respect for, and I did know the story and the set of stories that would follow would lead to difficult circumstances for them. Didn't know exactly what they would be, but that part of it, the personal part, was really hard. And that's why, yes, you always want to have a good story, of course, that's what we do, but I don't know that there was joy in this. It also was a bad reflection on the sport. It wasn't like I was gleeful that we got this. It was kind of a mixed emotion type of deal. I think the thing that really anchored baseball fans the most, Ken, and players around the country was the day the Astros had their press conference to talk about the, the scandal. I mean, they came across as unapologetic. I mean, had they been more sincere, maybe this thing blows over. Instead, they really ignited a power to keg. I mean, if and when the season resumes, our opposing team is going to go after the Astros. Well, I agree with you that they did not handle that day well, and it did kind of flare this whole thing back up again. Not that it was so quiet, but it really took it to another level. Now, when the season begins in empty parks, there won't be anybody to boo them. I guess the question will be, will teams retaliate? I don't know how much of that will go on. Teams are trying to win games. Maybe they'll pick their spots. But the issue is not going away in terms of haunting these players. Guys like Bregman and Correa and Altuve, whether they were actively involved or not, and of course we've heard Altuve was not, there's a taint now. It's like a scarlet letter on their jersey, invisible, but there. And that's something that over time they're going to have to deal with. Now maybe they have a great year, year or even better next year in a full season, and then they can say, hey, look, we were this good a team. And that would help. But people are not going to forget this so easily. It was perhaps the biggest cheating scandal in the sport's history. 1919 Black Sox was different. That was a gambling scandal. This was not that. This was actual cheating. Yeah. Well, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred 
didn't suspend any players, but suspended manager A.J. Hinch, general manager Jeff Lunau, and then who eventually fired after the suspensions were announced. Did Manfred handle this correctly? The way they approached it was we're going to hold the leaders responsible, and that was Hinch and that was Lunau. Now, in hindsight, it looks bad because it looks like the players walked. But I don't know that they had much choice. Had they gone after the players and not promised them immunity, they wouldn't have gotten the truth. So there would have been no firm conclusion, most likely. The players would have lied and said, ah, we didn't do it, or whatever. And then if you go after them, you also have the union that's going to fight for the players. You're going to have this whole situation drag out. That wouldn't have been healthy either. So in a sense, Manfred had poor choices. But at the same time, the fact that the players were not held responsible in any fashion, any meaningful fashion, other than that scarlet letter I just talked about, Mm -hmm. that was problematic. And that's what bothered a lot of players, bothered a lot of fans. I don't know what the answer was, the right answer, because different issues pulling at him. But the way it worked out and the way it played publicly was not great. I got some uh, questions from some of my listeners when I posted on uh, my Facebook page. And uh, so, um, Donald Money Jr., not no relation to the former Major League player, he's asking, how does the current COVID-19 situation play into the plans of Major League Baseball to put its consolidation plan for minor league baseball? And could the list of 40 teams grow even bigger if the delay of the 2020 season elongates into the fall or across the turn of the counter into 2021? That's a great question. And... My belief is this plays right into MLB's hands. They wanted to reduce the number of minor league teams. Now they're going to have, in their mind, perhaps more of a justification to do that. They want the minor leagues to be more efficient economically in hard economic times, as everyone's going to experience, even baseball. They're going to be able to say, hey, guys, this is it. Sorry. So I do expect that consolidation to happen. I don't know that it will go beyond where they initially proposed it. But I don't know that it won't either. I don't. I can't say nothing is impossible here. Everything is possible, but I don't expect them to go much further. Yeah. Brian Wilmer's asking, do you think uh, JT Real Muto will resign with the Phillies? It's tough to make any free agent prediction right now because we don't know what the market's going to look like. We don't know how everything is going to play out. I sort of expect in some of these cases, and JT might not be a good example of it, some of these guys are probably going to take one-year deals and then wait for a full season and play it out again. I don't know that JT Realmuto will need to do that. Mm-hmm. The Phillies want him. He wants to be there, it seems. His value is pretty clearly established. We know what he is worth in terms of a catcher as a free agent. So I would expect that gets done. Yeah. Uh, Trace Attacks asking, hopefully, if there is a shortened season, what, does, uh, what teams do you think will help and or hurt the most? That's really difficult to say. And you would think that this mere delay would help, for instance, the Yankees because they had all those injuries going in. I would expect teams that are deeper, like Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is a very deep 40-man roster. They'll benefit because they'll have the ability to use a lot of players in a compressed schedule and play better that way, I guess. But it's just so hard to know. And... 
it's really interesting, too. We had some teams that were really pointing toward this year, right? The White Sox were one. Some other teams were under pressure. The Padres were in that category. And yet now it almost seems like everybody gets to buy some time. Yeah. Russ Adams asking, what's your favorite baseball memory? Uh, Rifkin breaking the record in Baltimore, September 6, 1995. And I actually tweeted about this the other day. I, I've had the great fortune of covering Olympics, World Series for Fox, Super Bowls, NBA Finals, all the big events. But that night was the most special night of my career. It was just magic. And I wrote for the Baltimore Sun. I was a columnist, so it was a big deal locally, obviously. And the president and vice president were there. Joe DiMaggio was there. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful night. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Baltimore Sun, your former colleague and my former colleague at the York Daily Record, Andy Noble, uh, said... Uh, to tell you, he, you don't have to write uh, through for every edition. And he says you were famous for doing that in Baltimore. <laughs> also, he's the best. Well, let me explain to people what Andy's talking about. I was not exactly an editor's best friend in Baltimore because we have three editions. One would close, say, at midnight, one at 1230, one at 1. Roughly that was it. And I was a perfectionist, and I was constantly updating and not letting those guys go home. And Andy and others were good enough to put up with me, basically. <laughs> uh, Bill Palin, another former colleague of mine at the Daily Record, uh, is asking, uh, do you see a better long-term outlook for his Pittsburgh Pirates with new management uh, team coming uh, that followed the, the off-season house cleaning, or is it business as usual? I actually thought Neil Huntington did a pretty good job there. And, yes, some things happened last year that were awful. The Archer trade was terrible. But... They competed for a long time. Ownership is really the issue there. They don't spend enough money. But that said, Ben Charrington's really good, did a good job in Boston. And Derek Shelton might be a star as the manager. So I do expect it's going to take a while because they always seem to need time. But they should make some progress. Before I let you go, I cannot end this conversation without you talking about the time you were asked to be investigative reporter at the Daily Record for a, at a local pizza establishment. <laughs> Ken, I'm glad you remember that. This is a long story. I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> Our news desk at the Daily Record had gotten reports that kids were assembling a Chuck E. Cheese and basically smoking weed. That was how we heard it. And maybe dealing other drugs as well. And when I was at the Daily Record, Ken, you can confirm this. I looked yes. like I was about 14. Yes. <laughs> so I was the obvious choice on the whole staff to go to Chuck E. Cheese and investigate the situation. So I did this, I think it was consecutive Friday nights, which was kind of a break for me. Friday night was a busy night of our paper. We had high school sports, and I'm out there playing pinball and looking for kids doing drugs, which wasn't even happening. So I took two Fridays in a row off reported back to the boss and said I didn't see anything, which was the truth. I did not see anything take place. I'd go in the bathroom. Nothing was going on. The kids were just, you know, teenagers at Chuck E. Cheese. The boss said to me, well, okay, I want you to make a buy. You want to buy drugs. So, so my dad was, my dad was an attorney. He was out of town. So I called his best friend who was another attorney. And the best friend said to me, if you do this, you're even dumber than 
your father and I thought. <laughs> Basically, the editor of the York Daily Record was telling me to break the law. Yeah. So I went back to him, told him I wasn't going to do that, and he said, that's okay, Ken, I, I appreciate your effort. <laughs> and that was it. We never found the drugs, and I never got another Friday night off. <laughs> do you mind if I mention his name? Because, I mean, you, you did the voice perfectly there. <laughs> well, his name was Sam Fosdick, and they, <laughs> many years later, like, I would say like four or five years ago, I told the story on MLB Network on the Hot Stove Show in the morning, which is we kind of talk about whatever we want. And I think I did mention—I don't, I don't even know if I mentioned. I his don't name. know. You, I don't remember. I remember watching it. You did not mention his name. I don't know. If okay. He reached, hey, Kim, he reached out to me on Facebook and said, "Oh, it's like I don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, "Oh, please, <laughs> stop it." <laughs> I mean, it's not like, who cares? It's not even a big deal. But don't tell me it didn't happen. Uh, I'm gonna make. It. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Those were great times, my friend. Uh, where can people well, find you? Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, just sitting around and you know, shooting the crap and all that stuff. It was. Uh, you know, you would bust it on me about the Phillies because you were, you know, a Mets fan at the time, and uh, it was just, you know, yeah, wonderful stuff. And I uh, appreciate you coming on, Ken. Where can people follow you on Twitter? It's Ken underscore Rosenthal, and that's my name, uh, Ken underscore Rosenthal. So, Ken, appreciate you. Do a great job. And I, like I said, I uh, great talking to you, great catching up with you. And then uh, uh, hopefully uh, we get a baseball season going here. We'll uh, talk again soon. Thank you. Coming up, I'll speak with Ken Fang of Awful Announcing as we look at the sports TV landscape during the coronavirus pandemic. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. April Subscriber Appreciation Month at the Daily Gazette. Pay for one year of your subscription and receive one month free. Pay for six months of your subscription and receive two weeks free. Call today to take advantage of this limited time offer. Call 518-395-3060. Or you can visit us online at dailygazette.com payment. Be sure to mention the promo code APPRECIATE. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest covers sports broadcasting for Awful Announcing. He helped promote sports TV columnists like me back in the day with his Fang Bites website. Here is Ken Fang. Ken, how are you doing today? Good talking to you, Ken, and hope you're staying safe today. Uh, I am, and hope you're staying safe as well. I think the last time we chatted, I was uh, guest hosting a sports talk show here in, in the Albany market, and then a couple of days later, they uh, canned the uh, show. So I was, I was like the curse of the, that show. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I hope I'm not a curse to the podcast. No, okay? no, no. We're, we're doing well with the podcast. Thanks for coming on. We got a range of topics to talk about, Ken. Well, let's start with what happened last Friday, a news dump, which I think shocked a lot of people. Dan Fouts getting fired by CBS Sports. I mean, I, I, who saw this coming? I don't think anybody did, Ken, to be honest with you. I mean, it's one of the most popular broadcasting teams. You have Iron Eagle and you have Dan Fouts together. And it didn't seem like they were going to be going anywhere. Then all of a sudden, CBS said that, well, Dan's contract is coming up, so we'll just 
let him go. And then uh, later in the day, it was reported that Charles Davis of Fox Sports was going to replace Dan Fouts. So in a sense, it's a, kind of like a lateral move for Charles Davis because he was on the B team of Fox, going to the B team of CBS, exchanging Kevin Burkhardt for Ian Eagle. But I guess also, too, that uh, one little carrot for Charles Davis is that he also might do golf for CBS, and I didn't see that coming at all. So it's an interesting move by CBS, and uh, just goes to show uh, how things are happening, uh, how quickly things can happen uh, in the media world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who replaces Charles Davis at Fox? I mean, I think I, I read that you know, Jay Cutler could be back in the mix. I mean, I thought he maybe uh, burned his bridges a couple years ago when he did sign with the Fox and all of a sudden decided to uh, re-sign in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. That's true. I mean, the interesting thing is that he was supposed to work with Charles Davis and Kevin Burkhardt, and he was going to be on the B team, and then before he even called the game, he signed a contract to work with the Miami Dolphins and uh, was a quarterback for that year. So it's interesting how these things happen, and you're not really out until you're truly out. So Jay Cutler could be someone who replaces Charles Davis, uh, even though he's never broadcast the game. Um, I don't hear of anybody uh, from Fox maybe being promoted from within. So it's an interesting move and uh, see how all these things happen, even though there's no sports going on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of no sports going on, I mean, how do you think the network's been handling uh, this, uh, you know, their programming? We're seeing a lot of uh, old games from the uh, 90s and 2000s. Personally, i like to see some games even further back from the 70s. I know there have been some like baseball games from the 80s being shown on MLB Network, and I think Fox has been showing some This Week in Baseball uh, classic episodes. And How do you think they're, you know, all the networks have been handling this? I mean, they've had to scramble. I think mean, really, literally, they've had to scramble, Ken. Um, I think MLB Network has done it the best job because they have the archives, and I think MLB Network has done the best job. Major League Baseball has done the best job in preserving its games. I mean, when Al Kaline died, the night he died, MLB Network threw on the 1968 World Series Game 7. That was the only World Series that Al Kaline uh, was a part of, So, uh, or at least the win only winning team that he was a part of with the Detroit Tigers. So it was great to see that, how quickly that MLB Network was able to put that on. However, as you mentioned, it's been mostly games from the 1990s and 2000s. Uh, MLB Network did throw on the 1975 World Series Game 6 as a Red Sox fan. That was great to watch. Um, also, they were able to show some of the 1980s World Series. And they even, can I think, um, one night this week, they also threw on the 1995 World Series, which was the ill-fated baseball network. And for those of us who were, remember that part, that ill-fated joint venture between ABC, NBC, and Major League Baseball, and how that worked for a year. That was the only World Series that was split between two networks. So yeah. that was interesting to watch. And if, so, and if you remember 1994, they were supposed to have the same thing. The strike had not uh, cut short the season. That would have been the same thing there with that, that old ML, that baseball network. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it began uh, until the strike started. I mean, that's a whole thing. I mean, we, you and I can spend 30, 40, 50 minutes on the baseball network and how, and how ill-fated that was, Ken. But, um, yeah, I think as far as the networks have been able to handle it, ESPN has to scramble. Of course, their 24-hour network, they need inventory. Same with NBCSN and FS1. At least NBCSN can go back into the um, – they've gone to the Olympic archives for this week. They've also tapped some old NHL 
games going back to the 1990s. I think that's been a great do to watch as well. Um, they've done as best as they can. I mean, honestly, uh, they've done the best they could. Although, earlier this week, uh, Stephen Colbert kind of teased uh, ESPN on some of the shows that they were, yeah. uh, they were able to put on it. They had a very funny tweet. Uh, uh, if you find the late show uh, with Stephen Colbert t- uh, Twitter uh, uh, account, they showed some of the things like old man hide and seek. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> some of the some of the programming that they're trying to come up with. Yeah, I saw that Tuesday night. That was that was pretty funny. Uh, speaking of ESPN, Ken, uh, starting Sunday, uh, the ten part series, The Last Dance. Uh, it's about the 1990s Chicago Bulls and you know the six championships, the the aura that they had during that uh, time. It starts, uh, like I said, Sunday ten part series. Originally going to be in June, but moved up uh, because of the pandemic. And I think a lot of people had been anticipating this uh, documentary series. I, I think I saw your colleague Ben Koo had a nice uh, uh, write up about it, uh, praising the series. Uh, how much are you looking forward to seeing this? I mean, as someone who watched a lot of the NBA in the 1990s and Michael Jordan, I think those of us who were remember and, and aware back then were it, it was really must-see TV and uh, the, the Bulls winning six NBA championships, uh, both uh, two in a, in a three-year span, you know, all you know, with uh, two Houston Rockets uh, championships in between in between that. Um, it, and the fact is, is that they had the foresight, uh, the NBA did, NBA t- Entertainment, to have a camera embedded on that final season, the sixth season, just to show uh, and to get all this footage. And someone had the foresight to, within NBA and ESPN, to make a, a, a great documentary out of it. I'm looking forward to it. Interesting uh, news that had just come out uh, at the time of this taping, Ken. ESPN is going to show it both on ESPN and ESPN2 simultaneously, they're going to show an uncut, unedited version with with swearing and F-bombs uh, on that on ESPN, and an edited version uh, of those edited out on ESPN2. So it's a great way to maximize the audience and also to let people know that there is some coarse language coming out into this uh, as well. So I think it's a very smart move by ESPN to air it on both networks and to uh, maximize an audience. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, the burning question I always had with with the Bulls and Michael Jordan in the uh, year and a half he took off, was that a forced retirement? Because we know he had gambling issues, and, I mean, he was just wondering if David Stern just told him to, the commissioner at the time just told him, just go away for a little bit, and then we'll let you back. Yeah, that's an interesting move. I mean, that was, an, uh, that was an, uh, also his time in, the Birmingham Bulls and minor league baseball was also an, an issue of uh, a 30 for 30 uh, documentary from ESPN Films a while back, but really didn't go into the reasons why he went left. So hopefully this goes into it. I'd like to certainly know about that and also more about the machinations between the Bulls and bringing in Tony Kukoc and also uh, how the, the team uh, managed to survive that year knowing full well that they were going to be split up after that uh that final season. I mean, who knows if Jerry Reinsdorf hadn't decided who was the, the head of the Chicago Bulls at the time. If Jerry Reinsdorf hadn't decided uh, not to get rid of everybody, uh, how well that, how long that uh, Bulls dynasty would have lasted. Yeah. 
mean, they, they could have really won if Jordan played around, you know, played those seasons. You know, they, I think they could have won eight straight championships. That that would have been in this day and age, that would have been crazy and been great. Mm. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk some golf here. Um, obviously, there's not going to be a British Open this year. Uh, the U.S. Open's rescheduled from mid-June to September 17th to the 20th. The Masters has moved from uh, you know last weekend would would have been to November 12th to 15th. This to me brings up some interesting scheduling situations for Fox, which has the U.S. Open, and CBS, which has the Masters. It's also NFL season at that time. What's going to happen with these golf events? Where are they going to? I mean, Fox can't air the Sunday final round on. You know, because I have NFL and CBS can't end, unless CBS they get to move the final rounds to early morning. I mean, what, what's going to happen? I mean, could we end up seeing the Masters on another network for the first time ever? I doubt that because the Augusta is so entrenched in tradition. Ken, I don't think we would see another network broadcasting the uh, Masters final round. CBS will air that. Um, my theory is that they would actually, instead of going from Thursday through Sunday, they would go through a Wednesday through Saturday schedule. Yeah. And also because at that point, because of daylight issues, they have to finish by 5.30. So I'm thinking that that's where the Masters will eventually go. Uh, we also still don't know if there's going to be an NFL season. We all still don't know. This is all up in the air. I mean, it's great to be looking forward to these type of events happening, but I'm not really sure if we're going to be seeing sports in 2020, to be honest with you. I hate to say that, but um, it all depends on, of course, what Dr. Fauci says and uh, what the sports leagues can do um, and if there's going to be a second wave of COVID-19. So um, all this is up in the air. I'd like to see it happen. I'd love to be able to have that uh, problem of having all these sports happen all at once, but you know, we all it, it, it's all up in the air right now. And you know, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure if we're going to see a Masters. But I love, I'd love um, as much as I love to see it. I'm not even sure we're going to see sports in 2020. Yeah, it's going to be just crazy here. Well, we're talking the NFL here, and yeah, the NFL TV deal is going to be up soon. I think you recently wrote a story on that, the, how the landscape could change. Where I think what Thursday night football goes back to CBS, and you were suggesting Monday night football could go to TNT. <laughs> that was my prediction, Ken. I, I'm thinking that I, I did some wild predictions. I thought that uh, basically, what if this were up to me? Let's say that I had the power to award the networks the packages. I would go with TNT on Monday Night Football because TNT has been wanting to get back in the NFL since 1998 when they lost Monday Night Football. I'd say that the Sunday packages will no longer be split down conference lines. That. They will be, uh, CBS and uh, Fox will share that package with the Dallas Cowboys, most of their games going on Fox, and let's say the New England Patriots, although they're not the same New England Patriots, not without Tom Brady, but you're going to be seeing a lot of AFC, but some uh, NFC teams on there as well, like maybe Chicago Bears go back on to to CBS, like the old NFL on CBS days when they had the NFC. And um, I said NBC would keep uh, Thursday night football, uh, Sunday night football, and I felt that um, uh, TNT would get Monday night football. And I think I said, uh, if I if I remember right, I said I said that CBS would get Thursday night football yeah, back. Because so, it, it, their lineup hasn't been too strong since the Big Bang Theory uh, left the airwaves last year. Yeah, so I think they want to get it back, and they see how Fox is doing well with Thursday night football, even though when they got rid of the Thursday night package, they felt it was a money loser, but. The NFL is just uh, that 800-pound gorilla that does great in the ratings. So I, 
two extra playoff games with playoff expansion, one going to CBS and the other going to NBC. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that um, you're going to, you're not going to see, you'll see quite a bit of upheaval, I think, in my opinion, uh, with Turner take, displacing ESPN. But again, crazier things have happened. Um, we haven't seen a lot of upheaval with the NFL since um, ESPN took over the Monday Night Package from ABC and back in the 1990s when Paul Tagley, if you love to seeing um, networks bit off each other, we've seen a lot of consistency with the NFL. I think it's time for a little upheaval, and I would like to, I would like to see a little chaos amongst the networks this, in, the, in the negotiation that are coming up soon. I mean, what about ABC, uh, ESPN, Disney? I mean, you, I mean they, do they want to get out, or they, do they want more of a say and maybe get a Super Bowl? I think they do. I think, to be honest with you, I really do think they want a Super Bowl. I do think that uh, uh, ABC would like to get part of the Thursday night package and expand it um, and get into the, the Super Bowl rotation. But it really depends on what the uh, um, the NFL wants. I mean, the NFL uh, pretty much says, you jump, and the networks will say how high. And I would love to see, um, they're going to see some interesting upheaval. Um, we're going to see some interesting negotiations, and uh, I know that pretty much that the uh, Fox and CBS and NBC would like to keep the rotation as it is, but we'll see if uh, ABC and ESPN can upset that apple cart. It'll be a lot of fun. I remember, I remember back when Fox took it over, and I just like everybody was so shocked and everything. So maybe we do need a little upheaval in the NFL uh, situation. One thing was we're talking about football. Uh, well, a few months ago, it was announced that the SEC, you know, kind of a couple of years ago, into uh, ABC. Wouldn't mean that that was a shocker uh, that came up. Well, maybe not much of a shocker because the SEC network is run by ESPN. But even to hear that uh, CBS won't be part of the SEC anymore had to be a little uh, jaw dropping. Yeah, they go back to 1996, I believe, on that one, Ken. So ESPN and the SEC uh, pretty much wanted to keep. Uh, have the um, all the games with one network, and even though CBS has been a loyal partner and really was willing to up its bid uh, to go to the, um, was really willing to up its bid for the SEC and pay a lot more money, but the SEC wanted more than that, and ESPN was willing to pay that. So um, CBS is going to be a lame duck network for a few years unless uh, ESPN buys them out. So to be to A lot of interesting stuff. I mean, obviously, even though there's no sports going on, we got a lot to talk about here. So, Ken, where can people follow you on Twitter, Ken? They can follow me at Fangs Bites on Twitter. They can also follow me. I have my own Facebook page at Fangs Bites, uh, Facebook.com slash Fangs Bites. And, uh, of course, uh, they can follow me on Instagram, too, at Fangs Bites as well, although there's no more, more food pictures uh, uh, than, than sports on that page. Oh, yeah. But definitely, if you want to follow me for the latest news, it's at, at and, of course, your dog, Samson, has his own Instagram account. <laughs> yes, he does. Samson underscore Fang on Instagram. And he's more popular than I am, which yeah. is totally understandable. Well, I, I know the feeling because my dog, Harper, is a lot more popular than I am. So I just haven't started the Instagram page for her just yet. So, uh, Ken, appreciate you coming on for a few minutes. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. 
Thank you very much, Ken. Stay safe. Uh, thanks. You too. That's Ken Fang. Up next, I'll speak with CBS Sports broadcaster and former News Channel 13 sports reporter Andrew Catalan about a project he is undertaking during the pandemic. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus. We're back with the podcast, and my next guest is very familiar to Capital Region viewers from his years at News Channel 13. Now with CBS Sports, he's starting a project to help aspiring broadcasters. Please welcome Andrew Catalan to the show. Uh, Andrew, how's it going, my friend? Hey, Ken. Hope you're staying healthy, and uh, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Hope you and uh, everybody down there are staying healthy. Um, uh, you're down in that area where it's uh, really been hitting hard. Uh, how 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 are things been uh, handling with you guys handling it? Yeah, so I'm in New Jersey, so you know, not too far away from the epicenter in New York City. And New Jersey has a, a ton of cases as well, so you know, we've been staying inside, staying safe as much as possible, and you know, trying to get out every now and then around the around the yard when the sun comes out with a little five year old boy running around. But my wife continues to work at at to Channel Two in New York City, so she's been keeping busy and. I've been home being the homeschool teacher. How's that been? <laughs> well, I submitted my letter for resignation, but it was not accepted. So <laughs> I continue on and uh, try to help out this little guy at preschool. Well, uh, let's talk about, before we get into uh, your, what your project is, uh, obviously no Masters last weekend, and before that no NCAA tournament. Uh, just... How has it been for you trying to handle this all that stuff? Because I mean, I don't know where would you have been assigned to the NCAA's for the first two rounds? Would you have been here in Albany? So we really don't find out where we're going until after the brackets come out. I did know that I was scheduled to uh, call the first four on Wednesday night in Dayton, and then I was going to go to a Friday Sunday site, which would have taken me out of the mix for Albany. I would have been somewhere on Friday, and Cleveland was a site, so since I would have been in Dayton, that would have made uh, certainly sense logistically to get me there, but we'll never know. You know, We don't find out until the brackets come out, so outside of going to Dayton, I'm not sure where I would have been. It's crazy that we got to this point. I called my last event on March 7th. I called the Mountain West Championship game in Las, Las Vegas on CBS, and I was scheduled to have a week off before the NCAA tournament began, so never in a million years when I took off the headset on March 7th that I think that would be the last event I would call for some time. But here we are. We're doing the right thing. We're trying to flatten the curve and, and get back to, to normal hopefully sooner than later. 
Yeah, I imagine between preparing for the NCAA's and the Masters, I mean, you were, yeah, your plate was full getting getting ready for that. Yeah, I mean, obviously the NCAA tournament, the, the workload that goes into that is, is you know, the biggest challenge I have all year because we only have, uh, you know, about 48 hours to turn around, you know, to eight teams, or in my case this year, it would have been 12 teams with, with Dayton and the first four. Uh, and then right on to Augusta, which is uh, one of my favorite weeks of the year. So, yeah, it's um, it's just been so surreal how quickly everything has changed and, and now just waiting to hear what the next event will be. Well, your next event, you uh, tweeted on Monday about, um, you obviously having some time on your hands, you wanted to help out uh, aspiring broadcasters. Uh, you asked them to send you uh, some of their work. And what, what, what inspired you to do that? Well, you know, Ken, it's just um, I feel so bad for, for so many people, especially college seniors. I mean, they're, they're getting shortchanged on their senior year. Um, so many of them would have been preparing to call either the NCAA tournament or spring sports. And, and now they're entering a, a job market that, quite frankly, as we know, is completely changed from six weeks ago. So, you know, I just think that uh, I knew what it meant to me when I was in college or just starting out in my career to have a professional in the business, just watch my tape. Just give me a couple of things about my reel. I knew how much that uplifted me and motivated me. And that was kind of my thought um, with doing this on Twitter, that I want to try to lift some spirits up, especially for college kids who are going through a really tough time right now. And if I could just watch a little bit of their reel and or, you know, a clip of their work and just send them some encouraging feedback and maybe one thing to focus on when they, you know, get back to getting reps. That was kind of my thought process, just to give back and try to put some smiles on people's faces and get them motivated for who knows what will be the next step, but I want to try to keep them focused and get them going again. How has the response been? I'm just going through your Twitter feed. It seems like you've been getting a lot of uh, responses. Yeah, I've been amazed, and I'm happy to do it. It's... um in the first two days, Monday and Tuesday, I watched nearly 150 uh, reels, and um, I've gotten back to every single one. I'm going to continue doing it through the week, and uh, it's been great. I mean, I, I really the response has been more than I've I've expected. But what it, what's been neat to me is it's really tried to you know unify some of these younger broadcasters, especially, and, and to see their response and. And how much it meant to them has really meant a lot to me. And that's exactly what I would feel when I was going through it 20 years ago now. And um, that's what I've been trying to accomplish. And I feel like it's uh, it's made some type of impact for these younger people. And that's exactly what I was trying to trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I, back, I was in college back in the early 80s. I mean, I was able to you know, get to know some of the broadcasters down there from my work doing you know, with your college basketball and doing – uh, you know, games on the radio. It's just, it's amazing guys like you, you know, to take time and do that. Because, I mean, there's some guys out there probably wouldn't do that. But, you, I mean, I, I think this is, this is a great thing you're doing, Andrew. Well, Ken, thank you. And, you know, when I was when I was coming up, the Ian Eagles of the world, the Len Bermans of the world, the, the Gary Apple, uh, Gary Apples of the world, who's at SNY but has Capital Region ties. I mean, now, they were so kind with their time to, to listen to a radio tape I made in college or to watch a, a TV demo from my first job in Burlington or even at Channel 13 in Albany. It just meant the world to me. And if I can just give back a little bit of that, what they gave to me, then um, then well, I think that it'll, it'll you know put some smiles on some people's faces. Yeah. Let me just get your thoughts. I mean, obviously, you know, we're still in this 
pandemic right now, and we hear Major League Baseball is trying to get going with games, maybe in Florida and Arizona. Uh, the NBA is trying to, you know, look and see how they can resume their regular season. The NHL, the same thing. And obviously, we're going to have the NFL draft next week. That's going to go, go off in a, really a different way. Obviously, at everybody's you know, in, the, in front of computers. I mean. Just how how do you think the sports world has been handling this whole situation? I mean, do you think we're going to get back to the normalcy sometime by the end of the year? You know, I think when any time that this sports conversation comes up, it, it's twofold for me. First of all, and it's, I think it's important to note that nobody knows what's going to happen. I mean, every week this changes so drastically that it's really a week to week or even a day to day situation as we learn more about this virus, as we learn about testing and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, any speculation right now is, is just that. It's speculation. I don't think we really know. And the other thing that we talk about is, are sports going to come back? The question to me is, with are you talking about with fans or without fans? Because, you know, I think that for the, the, the foreseeable future, it's going to be without fans. I think that it's it's hard to imagine right now 70,000 people gathering in a stadium when we're still really supposed to be in our houses. So I think that's also a part of the conversation. This is just my personal opinion, and again, I don't know anything, but I, I believe that we will see sports back sooner than later, but I don't think we'll see it with large groups of people or fans, for that matter, for some time. But again, it's so week to week, and, and the information we learn every day is only going to help us yeah, it's going to be interesting if you know if baseball doesn't get going by the time September rolls around. We're going to see will college football or the NFL be going at that point? That's and without fans, I just that's going to be just odd seeing football being played in a big stadium and nobody in the seats. Yeah, I mean if that is the way it turns out, it'll certainly be strange. But I think that a lot of people would would take it. You know, I mean, you know, I think that a lot of people, you know look to sports as an escape and look to it as a way to provide some entertainment and some relief. So I think if the question is, would you rather have games with, you know, with no fans or no games at all, then I think a lot of people would say, all right, I'll I'll take it. So, um, again, we'll see how it plays out. And I just hope that everybody stays safe and and that we can get back to normal sometime soon. I should ask you one last question. Where can uh, the broadcasters uh, send you their uh, clips on Twitter. Yeah, sure. My, my Twitter name is at uh, Andrew Catalan, and I'm going to do this for the rest of the week. So if, uh, even if it's not a full reel, even if it's just a, a clip of a call you had, I've, I've had a lot of that as well. So um, I've had a lot, of, a lot of interesting tapes and reels and so many different sports and podcasts, and you know, I've been really impressed with the talent that's out there right now, and uh, it's, it's certainly a bright future for, for so many of these uh, young men and women. Well, Andrew, I appreciate a few minutes to talk about that. Great catch up with you again, and please, you, uh, Jessica, stay safe down there and, and your five-year-old, and do me a favor, don't resign from your school teaching duties. <laughs> don't worry, no one's going to accept the letter anyway. Well, thanks, Ken. Always, always great to join you on the podcast, and I uh, hope you stay safe as right. well. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Uh, we're back to wrap up the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox in just a moment.
Hi, this is Ken Schott, Associate Sports Editor of the Daily Gazette and host of the Parting Shots podcast. The coronavirus has affected many American lives. To help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have the following tips. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, then throw the tissue in the trash. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. Stay home when you are sick, except to get medical care. And finally, wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. For more information, go to www.cdc.gov COVID-19. Follow the Daily Gazette's continuing coverage of the coronavirus online at dailygazette.com and in the print edition. Back to wrap up the podcast, keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Ken Rosenthal, Ken Fang, and Andrew Catalan for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and stay safe.